Good morning and welcome to Clytonville. We are thrilled and excited that you're here to worship with us. And today we wrap up our series on the life of Jacob. We're going to look at Jacob and Joseph, father and son, because both of these characters wrestled with God. And there's things that we can learn from their life to apply to ours. Now we've got a lot of ground to cover today. So let's get started in Genesis chapter 37. We'll read a few verses, talk about them, read some more, talk about them, and keep going through that pattern. Let's get started in Genesis chapter 37 with verses 1 and 2. This is the common English Bible that I'm reading from. Jacob lived in the land of Canaan, where his father was an immigrant. This is the account of Jacob's descendants. Joseph was 17 years old and tended the flock with his brothers. While he was helping the sons of Bilhah and Zilphah, stop right there. Do you remember who they, they are? Bilhah and Zilphah were the maidservants of Rachel and Leah. Rachel and Leah were the sisters that Jacob married. So the sons of Bilhah and Zilphah would have been Joseph's half-brothers, but in this society, in this culture, they wouldn't be considered equal or on par with each other. Let's keep reading. While he was helping the sons of Bilhah and Zilphah, his father's wives, Joseph told their father unflattering things about them. So Joseph brings this bad report about his brothers. What that report was, we don't know. Maybe he was talking about how they were lazy or inefficient or goofing off or were careless and reckless. We don't know what that bad report was. But let's keep reading and see how this affects his relationship with them. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was born when Jacob was old. Jacob had made for him a long robe. Other translations will say a robe with long sleeves or a robe of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of his brothers, they hated him. They couldn't even talk nicely to him. Jealousy. Playing favorites. This is real life stuff, isn't it? These are things that families that you and I struggle with. Let's keep going in our story, verses 5 through 8. Joseph had a dream and told it to his brothers, which made them hate him even more. Are you hearing this increasing hatred for Joseph? And he said to them, Listen to this dream I had. When we were binding stalks of grain in the field, my stalk got up and stood upright while your stalks gathered around it and bowed down to my stalk. His brother said to him, Will you really be our king and rule over us? So they hated him even more. Because of the dreams he told them. 
So this hatred continues to build. That Let's recap. Joseph tattles and his brothers are jealous of him. And Joseph has these dreams and he has dreams, but he doesn't have wisdom yet. Because part of wisdom is knowing when to speak and when not to. And to these brothers in this context where they don't like him and they have this increasing hatred towards him, it's not smart to talk about how he's going to be lifted up above them. And to just kind of tell you where the story goes, one day Jacob, the father, sends Joseph, the son, out into the field to check on these brothers. And let's jump down to verses 18 and 19 to read this. And then these brothers, they saw Joseph in a distance before he got close to them, and they plotted to kill him. The brothers said to each other, Here comes that big dreamer. These boys are going to kill their brother. This is why I'm glad I'm an only child, because those of you with brothers and sisters, y'all are very mean to each other. But anyway, um, Reuben, who is the oldest of all the sons, says, no, let's not kill him, at least not with our own hands. Let's throw him into... Well, and what Reuben is really thinking is, if we throw Joseph in a well, then I'll let him sit there, but I'll come back in a day or two, a couple of days, and the boy will have learned his lesson, and I'll pull him out, and I'll save him. But that's not what happens. Because as soon as Reuben goes to take care of the flocks, a group of Ishmaelite slave traders come along. And Judah says, let's sell him. And later, when Joseph is telling his side of the story, we'll hear that he was begging his brothers to not do this, to not sell him. Let's look at verses 31 to 35. After the brothers sell Joseph into slavery, they have to come up with a story of how do we tell our dad about his favorite son disappearing. This is the story that they come up with. His brothers took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a male goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the long robe, brought it to their father, and said, We found this. See if it's your son's robe or not. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. A wild animal has devoured him. Joseph must have been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes, put a simple mourning cloth around his waist, and mourned for his son many days. 
All of his sons and daughters got up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, telling them, I'll go to my grave mourning for my son. And Joseph's father wept for him. What kind of sons do this? What kind of sons tell their father a bold-faced lie? What kind of brothers sell their brother into slavery? And watch a grieving father and try to comfort him while they know the boy is really alive. Now, when we started this series at the beginning of this month, we saw how Jacob told a bold-faced lie to his dying father so that he could steal the birthright. But these sons, these boys, they've gone far beyond that. So what do we learn here? We learn that even the father of the nation, Israel, Jacob, even he had sons that didn't turn out quite right. And I don't mean to really joke here, but just being honest with you, part of what you're supposed to get as you read this story is, my kids may not be perfect, but thank God they didn't turn out that bad. But the real truth is, is that life is messy. And sometimes children hurt their parents. And even if you don't have children, you hurt your parents. We see here that in this family that's going to be the foundation for the nation of Israel, they had problems. Serious problems. There's no perfect family. And so often, we as parents, we worry, where did I go wrong? How did I mess up? But I want you to see as you continue to read the story, as you read the entirety of the story, the good news is that somehow... Things work out. Somehow, these kids actually do end up turning out okay, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, as we wrap up the life of Jacob, it's impossible to wrap up the life of Jacob without talking about Joseph. So let's talk about Joseph's story now. Joseph's story is 13 chapters long, and one... Eventually, we'll come back and we'll do a long series on the life of Joseph because I think of all the Old Testament characters, Joseph is the one that most clearly points us to Jesus and what Jesus is like. So there's so much here that we're just going to scratch the surface, but I hope to be here a long time and I hope that we grow. And so I hope that we have a chance to come back and really dig into this story later in a year or two 
But as we look at Joseph's story, Joseph is sold into slavery. And he's sold to Potiphar. Why? Why? I'm sure that's what Joseph is thinking. Why did this happen? I'm a golden child. Why did this happen to me? God, you gave me the dream. And it's not working out. Why? Life oftentimes doesn't happen the way that we plan it. But as we look at the life of Jacob, and as we look at this part of it, as we look at the story of his son Joseph, what we see is that Joseph determines to do the next right thing. In chapter 39, we see that Joseph is a blessing to Potiphar. That his house prospers because Joseph is there. That things are going exceptionally well, but then one day, Potiphar's wife flirts with Joseph. And Joseph says no. She grabs his robe. He's always losing his shirt. Poor guy. But she grabs his robe and as it tears, she tells this lie that he tried to take advantage of her. And he's thrown into a dungeon. Again, suffering for something that he didn't do. He didn't do anything wrong. He made the next right choice that he could. And he's suffering for it. Now, I saw a study a couple weeks ago that said 40% of American Christians only hear about the gospel of prosperity. And I think that's wrong. And I think it's wrong. Because as we look here... And as we look at the entirety of the Bible story and the entirety of the gospel, the gospel doesn't promise you that if you do the right thing that you're always going to be rewarded. Look at this story. Look at this life of Joseph. And I told you I think the life of Joseph points us towards Jesus. And as we look at Jesus, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, if you follow me, they're going to arrest you. They're going to persecute you and possibly even kill you. The promise is not that everything's going to go well. At least not yet. But even in prison, even as Joseph is thrown into prison for something that he did not do, he continues to live with integrity and he determines to do the next right thing that he has a chance to do. So let's look at chapter 39. And this is verse 20. Joseph's master took him and threw him in jail, the place where the king's prisoners were held. While he was in jail, the Lord was with Joseph and remained loyal 
to him. The Lord was with him. How long was he in prison? Ten years. And for three years, he was a slave before that. Thirteen years. But the Lord was with him. In December, when Advent comes around, we always talk about the names of Jesus and how it's prophesied that he will be called Emmanuel. And that name Emmanuel means God with us. The good news is that you won't have tests, trials, and temptations and tribulations. The good news, the good news is that God is with you. That God walks with you. That God struggles alongside you. The good news is that you don't have to face life alone. That our God says, I will be with you as you go through the waters. As you walk through the fire, I will be with you. We don't have a God that says, I'm going to save you from every difficult thing. But he says, when in those difficult times, I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to give you the strength so that you can continue. The Lord was with Joseph and remained loyal to him. So God is with Joseph. And in this prison, the chief wine steward or cupbearer or butler has this dream. And Joseph interprets the dream. The cupbearer says that if things happen the way that you tell me that they do, that I'll be released in three days and then I'll be restored. I'll tell your story to the king. And I'll get you out of here. Let's look at chapter 40. Baker he hanged just as Joseph had said would happen when he interpreted their dreams for them. But the chief wine steward didn't remember Joseph. He forgot all about him. This chief wine steward, this cup bearer, this butler, forgot about Joseph. Until two years later. Two years pass. And then Pharaoh has this dream. And he's disturbed by this dream because he has this dream and he has it again. And he knows it's important and he knows it's urgent. So he calls people to try to interpret the dream for him and let him know what it means. And then, that's when the butler remembers Joseph. And Joseph is called before the king. And Joseph interprets the dream. And not only that, he gives a plan to save the people. Let's look at chapter 41, verse 39. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, no one is as intelligent and wise as you are. You will be in charge of my kingdom. And all my people will obey your command. Only as the enthroned king will I be greater than you. 
the difficult situations, the tough experiences, the bad times, the hard times that we face have a way of giving us wisdom and helping us and strengthening us. They have a way of toughening us up so that we have more grit as we face life. Here, Joseph is now the man of Egypt. In effect, he's the prime minister. How would this have happened if he wasn't sold into slavery? How could this have happened if he wasn't put in prison? You see, Joseph, he wrestled with God. And he held on to his faith. He didn't let go despite the circumstances. Even when things got hard, he didn't let go. He didn't give up. He didn't lose his faith. And so the rest of the story in chapter 42, we read that as Joseph interpreted this dream of Pharaoh, it came to happen. That there was this famine. And Jacob came back to the life of Jacob. Jacob is now 130. And he hears that Egypt has grain, so he tells his sons to go to Egypt to buy grain so they can have food and so they can continue to live. And these sons, they go and they stand before Joseph, their brother, who they haven't seen in 13 years, and they don't recognize him because he's dressed differently now, and it's been 13 years. And they bow down to him. Fulfilling that very first dream that Joseph had. But this is a series on Jacob, so let's jump ahead. At the very end of the story, Joseph is going to reveal himself to his brothers, and they're terrified. But then, one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible is Genesis chapter 50. It's the last chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Where Joseph says to his brothers, You planned something bad for me, but God produced something good from that in order to save the lives of many people, just as he's doing today. Joseph and Jacob both lived long enough to look back over their lives. And to see how God used the pain, the suffering, and the difficult times for His saving purposes. So, we're here, we're at the end of the service, but we got to talk about this. Because it's a question that we all wrestle with. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to God's people? Because we question and we wrestle with this idea that if God is good and loving... How can horrible things happen? You know, sometimes when people ask a question, there's something deeper in that question. There's really a question underneath that. So the real question is, how does God interact in our world? How involved is God in our life? Now, some people think that 
Our lives are books, that our lives are like novels that God has written, that everything is already written, and you're just living into your story. So these people that believe this believe that everything happens for a reason because it's part of the story, that God is the author of everything and that everything has a good purpose that we can't always see. Now, I may agree with that last bit. But what I struggle with is the idea that God's written everything about your life down. I don't believe God causes people to do bad things. I think people choose to be selfish and disobedient and hateful. And there's this idea that everything happens for a reason, but... There's another one. What if? What if? The story isn't written. And God invites you to join Him in writing your life story. That God invites you to cooperate with Him. But even if you decide to work with God and join Him in this task, there's still other people who have freedom, who may choose to mess up your plans, to hurt you. So, how do you respond? For those of us who believe that God doesn't cause bad things to happen, We believe that God redeems. We believe that God can take suffering and He's able to make it, to force it, to bend it. He's able to make it serve His purpose. And if we believe that we have free will, that we make choices, that means that we can choose to accept or reject God. And that means that there's other people that have chosen to reject God. That means they're going to willfully do things that they know God doesn't want them to do. So, we can be like Jacob and Joseph and trust that even if we're in the dungeon, even if we're in prison, that God is with us. And He's able to use this, even this, to accomplish His purpose. And we are invited to place these things in God's hands so that He can write our story. So he can continue to write our story. God is our Redeemer. And let's close with this verse from Romans chapter 8, one of the greatest verses in Scripture. Romans 8, verse 28. We know that God works all things together for good. For the ones who love God, 
and for those who are called according to his purpose. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.